They got Barbara. They came, just as Johnny said they would, dead hands clawing over each other to secure a grip and drag her away from the house. Barbara is lost in the horde of the undead, taken away to be devoured, to become the very thing she feared the most. This, the climax of George A. Romero's seminal Night of the Living Dead, in which the pretty, young, and good white woman meets at gruesome end, would be the shocking downbeat to send audiences home with and fill their nightmares. That is, until what happened next took an even more shocking turn, one that turned a little independent B-movie into one of the most socially relevant horror movies to ever emerge from the darkened corners of American history. Hey, gays and ghouls. I'm Sean Reedy. And I'm Katie Toole. And this is Friday Night Frights. A podcast about faith, family, and flesh eaters. <laughs> Tonight, we are discussing George A. Romero's Night of the Living Dead. A movie in which a smart black man is ignored by a bunch of white people until everyone dies. Like, the entire time that I was watching the movie... I was just like, thank God this man is smart, because at least there's one of them. <laughs> at least there's one of them. <laughs> at least there's a smart person in this right. Because, But then, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The quote at the top of the show comes from The Lingering Horror of Night of the Living Dead by Richard Newby in The Hollywood Reporter from 2018. Great article. Highly recommend. <gasps> Katie, do you know what time it is? What time is it, Sean? It is Shark Tale Hour. <laughs> Tonight's Shark Tale is called The Ghoul. What is in The Ghoul, Katie? The Ghoul is basically a play on the classic vintage cocktail, A Corpse Reviver Number 1, mm -hmm. for obvious reasons. I mean, that is uh, an ounce of cognac, mm -hmm. half an ounce of sweet vermouth. Mm -hmm. Um, and usually it's apple brandy, but we have modified this a little bit. We have added an ounce of uh, creme de cocoa and an ounce of Luxardo maraschino liqueur. It is so good. And topped off with? An orange peel. Mm. Yum. Just for that extra little something something. Yes. Uh, so the reason that I made it chocolate, besides the fact that it's fucking delicious, is... <laughs> The blood in the film, because they made this movie with literally no money, and we will mm -hmm. talk about that shortly, the blood in the film is Bosco brand chocolate sauce. Mm -hmm. So it's an homage to, to the chocolate sauce that made George <laughs> Romero famous. Incredibly famous. Mm -hmm. Cheers and fears, Katie. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> George A. Romero, by the way, is the co-writer co-producer and director of night of the living dead he is by far and away the uh person who is most associated with this film oh absolutely he also did the editing he did the editing um, that is true all himself he did he did everything himself it was however co-written because i feel like poor yes I, I feel like poor john russo gets talked he out of this conversation a lot and John Russo was actually the one that made this story, like wrote the most. Kind of made it up. Yeah. yeah. 
because the initial plot that they came up with was well in fairness john russo also came up with that initial plot which was ridiculous although i kind of want to see that movie i mean because it was what a horror comedy about about flesh-eating aliens i believe yes (laughs) um he also wrote um a novel that then became what is arguably my favorite zombie movie of all time. Maybe one of my, f- probably the top five favorite horror movies of all time. He he wrote Return of the Living Dead. <laughs> that is, uh, it's such a great movie. And I, Katie, I appreciate you for uh, making me watch that one. Oh yeah. I was like, how have you never seen this? Right. This is blasphemous and we're correcting it immediately. And we did. And I am thankful. It was a delight. It's just a delight. <laughs> Oh, the other producer uh, was Russell Steiner, who plays Johnny. Yes. Pretty much everyone in this film was also involved in the larger production because, again, they had no money with which to hire dedicated actors. There are a few, but not many. Well, oh, and, 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 and Carl Hardman was also a producer who uh, played Harry. Right. Yes. Yes. So... So basically everyone except for Dwayne Jones and um, Judy O'Day, right? Uh, e- yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, Judy, Ju- Judith, whatever. Whatever. Uh, we love you either way. We love you either way. <laughs> you little China doll. <laughs> yeah, really. That's what she reminds me of. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, there were like four actors in this entire movie who didn't know them ahead of time. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Because, and they like, uh, you know, quite a few of the extras weren't paid until later when the movie started making money. <laughs> well, it was, it was interesting that like, cause George Romero started making industrial movies. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and that was, and then he was like, I want to capitalize on horror movies. Um, he had a specific quote of wanting to capitalize on the film industry's thirst for the bizarre. Mm, I like um, that. I just really like how he phrased it. I was it's it. like, this. it's a good, it's a good phrasing. It's a good phrasing. And, and it's good, true. That, I mean, that's Shocktail Hour, right? right? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, George. So Night of the Living Dead follows a group of people who are holed up in a rural farmhouse in Pennsylvania as they are besieged by dozens of reanimated corpses. We begin by following Barbara and her brother Johnny, played by Judith O'Day and Russell Steiner, respectively, to a cemetery in rural Pennsylvania where they are planning to put a wreath on their father's grave. While they're there, they are there, they've encounter a man who is acting rather strangely he's sort of walking around as if he's in a trance in sort of like this beleaguered fashion he is played by bill hintzman and he is in fact the first ghoul in night of the living dead at which point he straight up attacks johnny and barbara barbara gets away but johnny gets his head smashed into a tombstone and he is presumed dead though you don't know that until the very end of the film Barbara finds a farmhouse, uh, which she thinks is abandoned, in which she also finds a corpse that is partially eaten, which was very distressing for her. It was a bad, bad day for Barbara. (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, I'd be having a bad time. I mean, it's not. A, it's yeah. It would be a distressing, distressing evening for sure. Like I just saw my brother's head. Like my not, brother might be dead. My brother may be dead. This guy tried to kill me. I had to get away and escape with the car that I couldn't even drive because my brother had the keys. Johnny has the keys. And now I'm in a house that is aban- seemingly abandoned. And here's a corpse. And here's a corpse. That's half eaten. That's half eaten. Fun fact. George Romero had to build that dummy himself. And the eyes, which are the most prominent feature of of the effect by far, mm-hmm. are made of ping pong balls. <laughs> Because they had no money. Um, so then Ben shows up. Mm-hmm. Ben is the aforementioned smart black man. Mm-hmm. Ben is played by Dwayne du- Jones. He has been dealing with this crisis for some time. Um, it's not entirely clear how long it's been going on at this point, but at least kind of the whole day, right? For several hours, at least. Yes. Uh, he has been driving. He's now out of gas, which is why he stopped at the farmhouse and he finds Barbara. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barbara is basically in shock. She is virtually catatonic. She can't do anything. She finds him like three small sticks when he asks her to go get firewood. Or when he asks her to go get firewood to board up the doors with. She's like, here's a stick. <laughs> I did the thing. Here's the stuff <laughs> Here. you asked And for. he's like, thanks. <laughs> so he does succeed in boarding up the house and sort of securing the perimeter. He finds a gun. All of these are good things. They then discover that they are, in fact, not alone. Uh, there are five people hiding in the basement. They are Harry and Helen Cooper, played by Carl Hardman and Marilyn Eastman, respectively. Their daughter, Karen, who was played by a little girl named Kyra Shon. And she is very ill. And then a young couple named Tom and Judy, played by Keith Wayne and Judith Ridley. Uh, Harry's a complete asshole. Yep. Yeah, he's kind of the worst. Yep. Uh, Helen is 100% done with his shit. Yeah. Yeah. From, like, 30 seconds into their screen time. Yeah. Yeah, she does not want to have anything to do with them anymore. Right. Tom and Judy are very young and very in love and very dumb. Yep. Tom, not as dumb as Judy. Judy's pretty dumb. Judy's pretty dumb, but I think it's more of, like, he just has more words to say. Like, he's more... he. I appreciate the fact that he agrees more with Ben right. on his thought processes. Yes, he does. And I think his his character is a more prominent character in the story. Yes. For sure. But he does also have a very, very, very dumb moment. <laughs> he does. Yes. So, uh, some choices are made. Yes. Some of them are very, very poor choices. Yeah. Uh, including... Pouring gasoline on a torch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then getting in a burning car. Let me just drive this car away. And maybe it'll stop being on fire. It'll just stop being on fire. It's fine. Like, once you get up to speed, the wind will put out the flames. Isn't Duh. that how it works? Doesn't, That's exactly how burning cars work. Isn't Doesn't oxygen put out fires? <laughs> yep, sure does. <laughs> uh, so, after hearing a news report... Uh, that says that there will be rescue stations set up. Ben and Tom decide that they are going to go and activate the gas pump that's in the on the property mm-hmm. a little ways away. Um, they found a key. So they go, they get in the truck, they get to the gas pump. Judy, who again, not the brightest 
not the brightest crayon in the box, decides to run out at the last minute to join them. Right. Almost gets almost gets them all caught. Uh, they get to the gas pump, can't get it open with the key, so Ben shoots it, which seems like it would be a poor choice. But he, but he gets away with it. Yeah. Um, he puts his torch down on the ground so he can do this, at which point Ben pulls out the nozzle of the gas pump and manages to pour a line of gas directly from the pump to the torch to the truck. To the truck. <laughs> like... So... And Ben, because he's smart, goes like, look out for the torch, but it's too late. Yeah, everything's already on fucking fire. Everything is already on fucking fire, including the truck, into which Tom and Judy get in. Nope. Well, Judy was still in it. I guess, yes. But Tom gets back into it. Right. Judy decides to not get out of it immediately. Right. And then they start to drive away, and eventually the truck explodes although they almost got out that's the other thing too like that's like romero really drove this home is like they were going to get out and then she got stuck and when he like leaned in to help her that's when the car exploded yep that Uh, fucking sweater that fucking sweater so they die they're gone they are a toasty little snack for the Mm -hmm. for the uh right ghouls a little bit barbecue (laughs) barbecue bodies Mm mm-hmm Yum. So Ben goes back to the house, manages to get back to the house. Harry mm-hmm. won't let him in. So he has to break down the door and then reboard it up. Yep. At which point he starts beating the shit out of Harry, mm-hmm. which is not like understandable. Yeah. Right. Because Harry is a fuck. We, we've been over this. <laughs> uh, at some point, this fight escalates. Well, I guess there's there's some time passes, but eventually yes. Ben actually ends up shooting Harry. Yes. Ben ends up dropping the gun that at one point Harry ends up saying to Helen that he needs to get the gun because Ben yes. is basically an idiot with this gun. Right. And he's he's saying that Ben ended up getting these people killed. Right. Which like, Harry, were you in the truck when... Uh, Tom and Judy were being dumb? No. Because I don't believe you were. He was hiding in the goddamn basement. Damn straight he was. Yep. Um, so Ben ends up dropping the gun. Harry goes after it. Harry points the gun at Ben. They fight over the gun. And Ben's like, Bitch, fuck you. you. you done. <laughs> yeah. We're done. Yeah. And just like fucking shoots him. Shoots him in the gut. In the gut. And what's funny is that, and this is, this drives the point home too of Helen being done with him, being done with Harry, right. is that she doesn't scream when he gets shot. She screams when she gets grabbed by the zombies. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, oh, this is fine. Yeah. Th- this is fine. That's oh, a- God. <laughs> Suddenly there's arms around me. <laughs> but I mean, like I got my husband gone, so there's that. Eh, you know. Well, that fucks out of here. Uh, so after... Ben, uh, you know, gets her away from the zombies. She goes downstairs to see if her husband is in fact dead and finds her daughter eating him mm-hmm. because her daughter has died. Although, you know, they never say explicitly why being bitten by the zombie killed her. The explanation as to why getting getting bitten by a zombie would kill you and turn you into a zombie is never given. No. Even though that obviously becomes a very strong trope within the zombie genre. Right. In this movie, 
like it's supposed to be radiation yeah well they claim that there's no explanation but they say the radiation thing like 18 times so i think that when they made the movie it was the radiation thing and then they were like afterwards they're like that might have been kind of dumb maybe we just say that doesn't refer to it all (laughs) (laughs) well don't they don't they tie that in though to return of the living dead no in return of the living dead uh which we should say is not a sequel. It is not a sequel. Right? Like, it is a completely separate uh, IP. Sort of. Uh, it is a chemical. That's right. It's a chemical. It's a, chemical. Re- it's a gas that's released. It's a gas that's released. And that's right. it was, uh, it's a sort of government experiment gone wrong. Right. Whereas this is supposed to be sort of uh, radiation coming off of a satellite that's coming back from Venus that exploded in the Earth's atmosphere. And then the body started moving and shaking (laughs) a lot of shaking going on (laughs) interesting though in this one as well because this is like such a i feel like this is such a strong zombie trope uh it is the unburied dead yes like the ones in the graves despite the fact that they set it in a cemetery Mm -hmm. the ones in the graves stay there right it's the recently dead it's the recently dead Mm -hmm. which is slightly horrific when you realize that some of them are decomposing. So it's like, were these like people who had been murdered and like dumped in the woods? Right. Ooh. <laughs> I didn't think of that. I'm dark. I've got a dark mind, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's this one guy who's like his face is all decomposed. And it's, you know, the, the report initially says. Right. That it, these are people coming out of hospitals and funeral homes, like freshly dead. They sh- He shouldn't look like that. Right, so why is his Why face is he decomposed? Because uh. he was murdered, dumped in the woods. <laughs> Radiation came, he got up. Was like, what the fuck? I fucking died in here? I fucking died in the woods. <laughs> this is offensive. I'm going to eat someone's face. <laughs> <laughs> going to walk over to the cemetery and fuck up these white people. <laughs> so Helen goes to the basement. Helen <laughs> goes to the basement. <laughs> to be fair, we were distracted for a fair reason. Mm-hmm. Helen goes to the basement to see if her husband is dead, and he is, and so is her daughter. Mm -hmm. Her daughter has become a ghoul and is now eating her father. I would argue that this is the moment that launched Night of the Living Dead into, like, the legendary status, like, stratosphere of horror movies, because this was 1968, and Romero decided to make the centerpiece of this an 11-year-old girl. Yeah. Who is eating her father. Like, isn't she, like, eating his face off or something like that, too? I mean, she just sort of has a hunk of meat. Like, you can't really tell from which part of him it came. Speaking of... Hunks of meat? Yes. Mm -hmm. So, when the ghouls are eating Tom and Judy, Mm -hmm. and you see, like, you know, random shots of a bunch of different ghouls Mm -hmm. eating flesh... Mm -hmm. What are they eating? Like, they are eating real organs. Not human. But they're eating real raw... They are eating real raw organs that's that they I got thought. from a butcher. <sighs> so it's like, you know, a calf's liver and like pig's intestines. But yes, they are shoving actual real life raw organ meat into their mouths. With gusto. In fact, yeah. one of the things that I read... Uh, was talking about Romero and Russo and how they were actually really shocked because most of the ghouls were just like people they knew. 
mm-hmm. like their clients, their friends, like where they were like, hey, you want to you want to be a monster in our movie? And they were like, yeah, sure. Why not? Put some makeup on them, send them out, go walk around, act like you're dead. Right. They were surprised by how enthusiastic these people were about like how into their roles they got and how they just like laid into those raw organs. But yeah. yes, um, the other parts where like for example when karen is eating harry um and she it looks like it's more of like a hunk of meat rather than an organ like maybe Mm -hmm. a piece of his arm or his face or whatever those were various cuts of meat that were covered in in the chocolate sauce that we talked about during chocktail hour that'd be very awkward to eat chocolate covered meat chocolate covered meat like just like a ham hock with meat on it was I, I think actually that's what Karen has her hands is a ham hock with with chocolate sauce all over it. I gross. Yeah. No, thank you. No, thank you. I'm good. Um. She then, of course, kills her mother mm-hmm. with a trowel. With a trowel to mm-hmm. the chest. To the chest, like. Mm-mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Uh. They did that sort of more of the low-budget special effects. Uh, Karen was stabbing into a pillow off camera. And... No, I'm not kidding. (laughs) (laughs) They had somebody standing off camera just flinging the chocolate sauce about. So that's when all hell really breaks loose. The zombies are getting in. Mm -hmm. Ben can't fight them off. It's now just him and Barbara. Mm-hmm. Barbara does finally like come out of her like trance, trance a little bit, yeah, and like starts to help, but unfortunately, it's a little too little, a little too late. Mm-hmm. And uh, the boards are ripped away by the horde, and we discover with certainty now that Johnny did die in the cemetery because he is there. Uh, as a ghoul to carry his sister away. And she gets carried away. Ben goes down to the basement and locks himself in because now that is his only choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, has to destroy Harry and Helen, both of whom, of course, wake up because right. they're zombies. Uh, so he destroys both of them and waits there until morning. Meanwhile, there are roving posses of various people law enforcement officers and just regular citizens who have Mm -hmm. taken to wandering around trying to kill uh the ghouls and doing a pretty good job of it because they they learn pretty quickly how to take them out right uh burn them or beat them is that what the burn them or beat them them them, that's what he says Mm -hmm. sheriff mcclellan who is played by whom i was gonna say well in this version george kasana yes because, of course, Russell Strainer, plays, Johnny. who plays Johnny in this mm-hmm. version, I'm just going to... No, go for it. Uh, Is he the sheriff in the... In the... Um, Tom Savini remake? Thank you. I'm like, I'm like names just suddenly are skating. <laughs> so, do you want a little fun fact about Tom Savini? I would love a little fun fact about Tom Savini. We're going to be talking about Tom Savini so much on this podcast. Yeah, that's fair because he, I mean, he does a lot. He did, he did a lot of things. Yeah. So uh, 
we know that he worked with Romero on Dawn of the Dead. Yes. Right? He was supposed to work on this movie. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. He was supposed to do the makeup for this movie. Uh, they knew him because he had auditioned for one of the other films that they had made as an actor. Uh, but they knew that he did makeup as well. And he was unable to work on this film because he was deployed to Vietnam uh. as a field photographer. So if that's like the, the time and place that this film was made, Tom Savini could not make Night of the Living Dead because he was deployed to Vietnam. Huh. Um, Interesting. Right? So Ben holds himself up in the basement and survives until morning. Um, unfortunately, when he does wake up, um, there is a posse outside and they shoot him. Yeah, he... And and I don't know if it was just... I don't know if it was just... I realized I turned away from the mic as I was talking. <laughs> Um, I don't know if it was just how the movie was filmed, but he goes upstairs and, and is looking out the window and is holding his gun out the window prepared to shoot. Well, yeah, because he doesn't know who's out there. Right. It, it could be more zombies. But mm-hmm. also, one would think that the posse would recognize that if he's pointing a gun at them, he's clearly not a zombie. Right. Right. Which, of course, is one of the d- debates about this movie is do they know that he's alive right when they shoot him Mm -hmm. so and then that's how the film ends because Mm -hmm. it is a bleak nihilistic statement (laughs) there is no hope in this film no (laughs) not at all because yeah any and every single person that you watch in this film is not going to live is not going to live and and it doesn't matter what they do. Right. It doesn't matter if they're smart, it doesn't matter if they're dumb, it doesn't matter if they're an asshole, it doesn't matter if they're actually trying to help everybody. It doesn't matter if they're in a trance and not able to do anything because they're just in, in so utter shock. afraid. Yeah. They're all, it doesn't matter if they're a child. Everybody, this thing is going to get everybody. Mm-hmm. Right? So, but of course, the fact that it is a white posse, even though technically, like the posse is, is formed specifically to go after the ghouls, but the fact Mm -hmm. that it is a white posse that shoots the black man at the end of the film adds another dimension, um, that while not originally intended, at least that's what Romero claims, um, the casting of Dwayne Jones, especially in 1968, definitely adds a uh another dimension and a level of social commentary to this film Mm -hmm. for sure um can we talk a little bit about Dwayne jones sure just because i i I think we should maybe also talk about 1968 but talk about Dwayne jones well well and i and it's going to tie into 1968 so um yeah tell me tell me me things i mean because Dwayne jones i mean he was uh he was really an unknown stage actor um he was actually a former university professor. Um, mm-hmm. And 
it was actually, I mean, of course, considering the time being 1968, it was very controversial to have a black man cast as a hero in a film. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty much like... Unheard of. Sidney Poitier. Yeah. And that's all. Mm-hmm. There was like one guy who was mm-hmm. allowed to be a hero and it was Sidney Poitier. Well, Ben was written as a simple man. Like he was mm-hmm. simple-minded. And angry. And, and angry. Yes. And Dwayne Jones was like, I'm going to rewrite this character. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're not going to do that, guys. We're going we're gonna to rewrite this character the way that I want him to be. And Romero and Russo were kind of like, sure, cool. Because frankly, they did not have this movie written when they started right. filming exactly. at all. <laughs> it was like, they had a basic concept. So we're going to just roll with the yeah, punches. Go for it. Yeah, like, let's do it. 90% of the dialogue was improvised. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, 90%, like, especially, like, I know there was the moment where um, Barbara was talking about, was going over what happened with Mm -hmm. her and her brother and with Ben. All of that was improvised. Yep. So was the part where Ben is talking about his first encounter with the ghouls. Yes. And how he just drove, Mm -hmm. drove through the the horde. Yes. Dwayne Jones 100% did Mm -hmm. that himself. Yeah. Judith O'Day talked about how there was basically no script. There was no script. It, it was, was kind of like, go. Here, you have the scene, essentially, and um, talk. Go right, ahead. like, this is what we want to happen. <laughs> talk. Make it make it happen. Make it happen, yeah. I appreciate that he ended up making that happen where his character wasn't just this simple, angry black man. Right. Like, he is strong, he is intelligent. Um, he has the and, situation under control. And To and the he, extent... That one could. Yes. to And and he is the one controlling the situation entirely right. within inside the house. Mm-hmm. Um, despite what Harry tries to do. Right. Despite Harry's best efforts to be a fuck. Oh, can I say one oh. fun thing about Dwayne Jones? Yes. Uh, he was in this film. He apparently, in one of the last interviews he gave before he passed away... Mm-hmm. Confessed that he never watched any of Romero's other films. <laughs> <laughs> well, he he was also afraid that everyone was going to remember him as Ben from Night of the Living Dead. Whoops. I, I mean, hate to work it to you, buddy, but I think that's true. Yeah, I mean, it is your best known film, and you and he wasn't in a lot of other films. I know he was in Ganja and Hess. And Beat Street, those right. are two of the bigger films that he yeah. did. And but he was primarily a stage actor and right. and like neither of those have have the level of neither of those hooked into the zeitgeist the way that this movie does. Exactly. Like at all. Um well and and I know so just tying into the times because mm-hmm. I know that a lot of people were thinking like, Oh, Romero, did you um include an african-american actor on purpose considering the times Mm -hmm. because this was the year it was yes uh of um martin luther king's assassination katie why can't i think of names especially martin luther king fucking jr (laughs) i appreciate the fact that romero did not just cast him just because he was a black man like Right. No, he claims that he claims that they did not intend for that character to be black necessarily. Right. Right. And that they no. just they auditioned people of all kinds, mm-hmm. and 
and he auditioned the best was was the best so they Mm -hmm. cast him as that but it absolutely whether they intended it or not Mm -hmm. like they well of what i know of he was that character was written as a white man and they just didn't change it and just didn't address any aspect of his nation or his nationality his well race his race that's the word thank you um, Hi, everyone. This is a podcast where I start sentences and Katie finishes them because she actually has a brain and I don't. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> no, no, no. I I appreciate you to a degree you don't understand. <laughs> because I can't think properly sometimes and I'm so thankful that you can. <laughs> I don't mean that at all in a bad way. Right. Um. So, yes, you are correct. Mm-hmm. 1968 was the year that Martin Luther King was assassinated. Mm-hmm. In fact, Romero claims that he finished editing the movie. Mm-hmm. He put it in the can. He threw the cans in his trunk and drove, started driving from Pittsburgh to New York to try to get it shown. He claimed that that happened on April 4th, 1968. And he heard the news of MLK's assassination on his way to New York. With this movie in the back of his car. Mm-hmm. But like, even if they claim that that wasn't originally their intention, the still shots at the end of the film when they're using meat hooks to drag him out of the house mm-hmm. is chilling. Yeah. It looks a lot like lynching photography. Yes. And... I can't imagine that they did at least think of that when they were putting those stills in, right? Um, For those of you who don't know, uh, lynching is an atrocity in which primarily black people, sometimes white people were lynched. It's primarily associated Mm -hmm. with, with... racial violence against black people by white people mm-hmm. um, are killed often in unbelievably torturous ways, like being burned alive or having their limbs cut off and being allowed to just bleed out while they're hung from their ankles. I mean, stuff that the people who we are talking about on this podcast who make these movies wouldn't even think of. Because they're not true monsters were done to these people. Um, And then people would show up and take photographs and they would sell postcards of, of just the most horrific images. My, actually my um, advisor in graduate school wrote a book about this. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, and anyway, it reminds me of that. And uh, the idea that, you would have a movie like this in 1968 and have it not turn into a comment on race. Right. Like you can't, I mean, they, they couldn't have avoided it if they wanted to. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So let's talk about what was going on in 1968. Mm -hmm. Right. There is a reason that this film uh, is so nihilistic. Mm-hmm. Right. And and that is because in 1968, 
kind of felt like everything was falling apart. Um, obviously, the, the entire decade had been tumultuous, right? It's not as if, it's not as if, you know, MLK was the first, um, you know, civil rights activist who was killed. Medgar Evers was, was killed in, in 1963. You know, there were others, dozens of, of people who were um, murdered brutally because of this. Mm-hmm. In the late 60s, you'd had the assassination of a president. You'd had the assassination of various well-respected civil rights leaders. Um, You had the Vietnam War raging. Again, Mm -hmm. like I said, Tom Savini couldn't work on this movie because he was deployed to Vietnam. Uh, This was the height of Vietnam was 1968. Like it just, it seemed like it was never going to end and it was just so pointless Everything seemed a little pointless, I think, to a lot of people. Yeah. Not everybody. You know, you still had you still had the hippies, you know, spreading spreading their message of peace and love. But mm-hmm. clearly, George Romero was not a hippie. Um, <laughs> no. No, I don't think so. Little... He wasn't trying to spread messages of peace and love. With... No, he was he was a little cynical for that. Obviously, you also had the assassination of Bobby Kennedy in 1968, but that wasn't until after the movie was made. Right. Um. You know, but. Just the violence, the level of violence and tension um, and loss of life, I think was was starting to wear people down. I mean, we talked about, when we talked about Halloween, we talked about the sort of general attitude, malaise, as Jimmy Carter called it, in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was that was starting to trickle in in 68. You know, and then they elected Nixon president. So, and so, in this environment, right? Mm-hmm. George Romero and John Russo uh, started writing a little movie about flesh-eating monsters. When they started, the flesh-eating monsters were going to be aliens, and mm-hmm. it was going to be a teen romp horror comedy. <laughs> about flesh-eating aliens um it pretty much became the furthest thing from that but the thing from that so the flesh-eating obviously survived from that concept the other thing was the radiation yep like in case you were wondering why the hell they're talking about space radiation so much in this movie it's because it was originally supposed to be about aliens they made this movie for a hundred and fourteen thousand dollars if you remember our Halloween episode when we were talking about how tiny a $300,000 budget was, translated into $2020, $114,000 is still not a million. No. It would be like making a movie today for about $850,000. I was going to say, I like absolutely had that down and. I think it was I like 847 it. or something like that, but. 838 so uh, yeah yes you were closer than i was which was not a fucking clue (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) well and it's interesting because like initially it was just 
it was Romero, John Russo, and Russell Strainer. And because they, you know, they collectively basically grew bored with the films that they were making at the time, they ended up teaming up with, um, they contacted Carl Hardman and Marilyn Eastman, which were the president and vice president, respectively, of um, the industrial fir- film firm uh, Hardman Associates. So they ended up pitching their idea to them, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, yeah, let's get on this fucking train of hordes of flesh-eating dead peoples. Mm-hmm. Um, and ended up creating Image 10. Um, mm-hmm. So, yes, uh, Image 10 was created, which included all five of the aforementioned folks. Mm-hmm. Their initial budget for the film was... $6,000. That's insane. <laughs> um, that, would co- that wouldn't have covered the film. Right. Like, that would... film is really expensive. Yeah. Like, they would not have been able... Even with what they had, they were constantly afraid that they were going to run out of film. And yep. I know that that's, like, kind of a foreign concept to us now because mm-hmm. everyone has, like, an iPhone with basically... Or, like, not an iPhone necessarily, but, like, a phone with... With Basically, a high-resolution camera? High-resolution camera that you could, like, shoot a whole movie on, and you could mm-hmm. shoot it 16 times because it's all stored in the cloud, and, like, who they've, the fuck cares? Well, and they've, in fact, done that. They've actually they filmed movies ba- that have been filmed completely on an iPhone. Yeah. Um, oh, God, what was that one, the film that was filmed on an iPhone? No idea. There was that one I saw it in theaters. <laughs> it doesn't matter. We can cut that out. Mm-hmm. Um and and being a i will say ex film major um <laughs> i'll own that i guess mm. um um especially like specifically focused on photography mm-hmm. film is fucking expensive film is so expensive and it is finite yes like it is a physical thing that you can run out of yeah like you could you could shoot too much movie and you're like wait fuck <laughs> i can't shoot any more movie i don't have any more film and apparently that was a a constant worry because they did not have money in the budget to go get more mm-hmm. film they just didn't and romero likes to shoot a lot yeah like he, he he's he, like wait let's take these takes and right. do them multiple times <laughs> right <laughs> do it from this angle and this angle and this angle this right. angle this angle um yeah so so that was an issue yeah so six thousand was like impossible i mean 114,000 was virtually impossible Mm -hmm. it's really amazing they got this movie made yeah yeah they thankfully ended up raising that amount of money right and then it made 30 million dollars and then it made 30 million dollars no big deal no big deal just one of the most profitable movies of all time I think it is hard for us to fathom and like this has come up before because we we talked about this with Friday the 13th a little bit and I think we talked about it with Halloween as well but I think it's even more true for this movie we are not able to understand as people who were born in the late 80s and the early 90s and grew up in the world we grew up in the extent to which no one had ever seen anything like this movie before. Mm-hmm. They had never seen anything. This was made in 1968. I mean, think of all of the, all of the slashers. The- all of the other zombie movies. 
Jaws, The Exorcist, The Omen, anything you can think of that is like an intense horror movie with a lot of like graphic imagery came after Night mm-hmm. of the Living Dead. This was the first time. The closest thing to it before that had been Psycho. Yeah. And comparatively, in terms of like gore and what they showed, I mean, there's no comparison. No, not at all. Like at all. Hitchcock is actually was actually a pretty reserved filmmaker in that way, mm-hmm. right? And uh, he didn't he didn't sort of believe in like showing the gore. He wanted to keep it kind of obscured because he thought he he actually he thought it made it scarier. Um, which in aspects, I which can it does, with. yeah, absolutely. Like I, I, I think that's a valid argument. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, obviously Romero went in the opposite direction. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, no one had ever seen anything like this before. Mm-hmm. Uh, in one of its first test screenings, it got a standing ovation. I can understand that. I mean, even with the fact that. I need to stop hitting my necklace. Sorry. Um, Even with the fact that a little bit of me is upset with the ending, I understand it. But I'm like, after all that, you all die. Right. Well, but that's exactly the way he wants you to feel. Exactly. That was like, that is how. And that's why I love it. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, God damn it. But also, God damn. God damn. (laughs) George Romero. Doing the fucking thing. <laughs> in 2017, George Romero uh, went to Motor City Nightmares, and which is a local horror convention that I think we've talked about on the podcast yes. before. Yes, we did. Um, and I was actually up north, and I got up at 6 a.m. to drive home to get there on the last day of Motor City Nightmares, specifically to go there and see George Romero. And I thought I wasn't going to make it. I got there at like 11, walked in, didn't have any cash. The ATM at the Marriott was out of cash because that's it's a convention. How, that, that's how it works. That fucking ATM is the worst. It's always out of cash. Because <laughs> um, conventions are pretty much a cash only business usually. And also that ATM is fucking ancient and doesn't like to work. That is true. <laughs> so I like ran across the street to the gas station to a different ATM, got cash, could not find him. Because they put him off in his, like, own little corner because the first two days, like, I was there on the last day, but the first two mm-hmm. days, there was obviously a giant line to meet George fucking Romero. Oh, absolutely. Right? So, so I couldn't find him. And I was like, oh, they left. Right? Because sometimes people leave conventions early. Mm-hmm. They're like, Sunday, fuck you. We're leaving. Right? So, I, so I'm in the sort of main room. There's, like, one big... Uh, ballroom where they have most of the people who are signing autographs um and then he was sort of off in this hallway so i was walked all the way around the main room walked out into the hallway and literally stopped breathing when i saw him i was like oh my god and just stopped breathing for a second i was like katie you've got to breathe you're gonna pass out but yeah, so it was like meeting George Romero and there was no line because it was Sunday. So there's nobody there. So I walked right up to him and I had no idea what to say to him. I think I said something like, it's such an honor to meet you. And then I didn't know what to say after that. So I said, I've written papers about your movies. To which he replied, I shit you not. Oh, I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> that was my interaction with George A. Romero. <laughs> 
have been more perfect. Like, right. you couldn't, like he was exactly who you want him to be. Right. <laughs> I mean, your interaction with him was way better than mine was because I legitimately didn't know what to say to him. So, <laughs> so it was just, just like, like, hi, hi, here I am. I'm going to take a picture with you. And um, thank you. <laughs> thank you for existing and making these great films. And I, I love you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Like, but he, it, and he I've was written movies about, or I've written papers about your films. Oh, right? I'm, so, I'm so sorry about that. He he was right, such Alex. a right. He was such a nice man. Like he was. No, he was very nice. He was like, come sit over here. And like, right. Like out of all of the the people that I've met at those convent or at that convention specifically, but yeah, we haven't the, gone to many. Yeah. No. Yet. No. Not yet. Um, yet. I am hoping that post COVID which I'm hoping is soon, soon. enough um, that we will be able to do another convention again. Um, but out of, out of all of the wonderful horror actors and directors and all of those that have been there, um, mm-hmm. he is one of the nicest and most genuine people that I had a chance to interact with. That's very true. Like he didn't, like he did not seem when he was standing there, like when he was sitting there, like he was who he was. Right. Right. Like it's just, it's just like he was just this like guy, just this old guy who was yeah. sitting there, just hanging out, just and talking to you to be as there. if he was a completely normal person, and right. not <laughs> not a fucking horror master, right? Not like a legend. <laughs> um, didn't literally create an entire subgenre of horror movies. I honestly, right. Yeah, that's true. Like, literally, you created the zombie movie. Like, it, it did not exist in its form before before you. Right. At all. Because even, even films that were made earlier that referred to zombies were more about the, like, original Haitian zombie archetype than what has become the zombie trope. Right. Because of George Romero. Right. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So when John Russo and George Romero um, started writing this uh, screenplay, they ended up coming up with this concept down the road. Of course, we already talked about the fact that their initial thought was to uh, have a film about aliens that were coming to this planet and eating humans rotting human corpses um and then ended up which i will say i do kind of want to watch that movie i just saying it might be fun i would really enjoy seeing that movie Mm -hmm. um but then ended up coming up with this entire this entire film about this entire story about these ghouls that consumed the flesh of the living Mm -hmm. um and ended up making this story that they came up with into three separate films. Mm -hmm. So it of course started with night of the living dead, ended up continuing with dawn of the dead Mm -hmm. and finishing off with day of the dead. Right. Though dawn of the dead was a full decade later. Yes. And then I think day of the dead was, was five years after that was eight years after a seven years after that. Okay. Romero was very heavily inspired from Richard Matheson's, I Am Legend Mm -hmm. Um, from 1954. It was a horror novel about a plague that ravaged Los Angeles. 
Um, the the main difference between the two, though, is that in I Am Legend, the creatures were vampire-like. They were sucking the blood, essentially. Of mm-hmm. they were they were taking over these humans, and with they were more like parasites. Sorry, right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And with it, there was only one man in that film. And there's three versions of movies. That is true. There is first The Last Man on Earth. Which was... That was Vincent Price, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, there's a Vincent Price one, there's a Charleston Heston one, and then Will Smith. Will Will Smith is the latest from 2007. So Last Man on Earth, 1964. The Omega Man, 1971. And then, of course, I Am Legend from 2007. Mm -hmm. Um, So Romero will fully, did fully admit that this was a, was heavily inspired from that. Romero ended up writing that short story based, based on, on the I novel, Legend. Mm-hmm. I Am Legend. Um, the reason being is that he thought that I Am Legend was a, it was about a revolution. Mm. And if you're going to, this is, and this is a direct quote from him, by the way. Yes. Um, I remember him saying that. I said, in, in quote, I said, if you're going to do something about a revolution, you should start from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And he said, I mean, Richard's Richard starts his book with one man left. Everybody in the world has become a vampire. I said, we got to start at the beginning and tweak it up a little bit. I couldn't use vampires because he did. So I wanted to do something that would be an earth shaking change. Something that was forever. Something that was really at the heart of it. And he said, so what if the dead stop staying dead? They won't stay dead. <laughs> and that's where this entire subgenre started. Right. Now, we did mention... He said he couldn't do vampires because Matheson had already done vampires. Right, absolutely. And by the time he made this, there had been, I believe, two film adaptations of that novel. Right. I think The Omega Man had already come out. I just looked at that. I'm sorry. I could be wrong. The Omega Man was 1971. Okay. Then I'm wrong. So the first, but the first adaptation. There had already been a film adaptation. Four years prior. Four years prior. So you couldn't really do the whole vampire angle. Uh, we should talk about the fact though that romero never called them zombies no not once um and while he did invent the zombie genre and he he can't escape he couldn't escape it right right like once once they became zombies like this is what a zombie is this is it right um but the idea of reanimated corpses was absolutely not invented by George A. Romero. No. Right. Um, there is, of course, thousands upon thousands of years of vampire lore. Vampires are, at their core, reanimated corpses. They're just in a different way. Mm-hmm. Right. But zombies uh, is actually based, uh, the concept of the zombie is actually based in Afro-Caribbean folklore. Um, and there were movies about zombies, about that kind of zombie, made before Romero's film. But, like, far before Romero's film, like, in the 30s. White Zombie was the first one, mm-hmm. right? Um, in 32. 
had Bella Lugosi in it, I believe. And then also I walked with a zombie. Or maybe maybe Lugosi was in I walked with a zombie. Maybe he was in both. Doesn't matter. Um, I mean, Bella, Bella Lugosi was in... He was in a lot of movies. A lot of fucking movies. <laughs> he was. Specifically horror movies, I feel like, but... Oh, almost entirely horror movies. Yeah. I mean, once he was Dracula, it was I all mean, over. It was, it was yeah. game over. It's like, sorry, <laughs> this is this is who you are now. This is your career. I guess the only other thing that I just want to mention super briefly that I really enjoyed about the final act of the film mm-hmm. is that I got to see one of my favorite dogs. Because there are German shepherds everywhere. And I'm like, oh, look at your little puppers. You mean like the, the dogs of the posse brace? Yeah. They are German shepherds. That is true. They're yeah. I basically ignore, ignored all of the white people and was like, look at the Bodies. puppers. But like you could argue. And again, like it, it's hard. It's hard because Romero claims that none of this was on purpose. But at the right. same time, you're like, I feel like you might be full of shit. Right. Because the image of a a barking, hyped up German shepherd straining at the leash. Mm-hmm is absolutely ingrained into our cultural imagination about the civil rights movement. Absolutely. German shepherds being pointed Mm -hmm. at African-Americans and them like just rip raring to rip them apart. Yeah. Is one of the enduring images of the civil rights movement. Yes. And then Romero puts German shepherds in the end of the film. Like he right. had to know, he did it on purpose. I don't believe him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Don't believe you, George. He can't argue back. He can't. I can say whatever the fuck I want. With all due respect. Right. He still did it on purpose. <laughs> Because, I mean, like, at this point, like, yes, like... By the time you got... By the time they got to the end of the film, they had to know what they were doing. Right. Right? Like, once... Because Dwayne Jones was there, right? Like, Dwayne Jones was there saying, like, hey, maybe we take it in this direction. Like, maybe we take this character in this direction. Right? right? Like... They were already making changes. Right. Like, he was aware. Mm Mm-hmm. As the actor in crafting this character, he was aware of the role that he was playing, not just the role in the film, but the larger role that he was playing. Right. Right. Um, You can't say that George Romero as the fucking director, producer, cinematographer, editor was not fucking aware of what what was happening here. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, George, we don't buy it. We don't buy it. And we don't buy that. You didn't intend the radiation to be the cause. Right. And then you just decided later that you didn't like it. And you know what? That's totally a-okay and fine with us. I mean, yes, because the radiation was pretty thin. But... Right. <laughs> <laughs> I had forgot. It's just, I, I, I keep bringing that up because I had forgotten how much they talk about it. Yeah, I actually did too. Like, you think of it as this, like, because no one ever talks about it. So you think of it as, like, this, like, sort of oh, someone might have mentioned it back here on a radio, like, in the distance, and they were mm-hmm. like, ah, fuck it. But no, 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 no. There was, like, there were scientists having conversations on the television about how this radiation is making the dead people come back to life and how it will affect every dead person no matter how they die and right. yada, yada, yada. It's mm-hmm. like, no, no, like, this is very clearly presented as the cause of this catastrophe. <laughs> like, this is not, you cannot then turn around and say, 
But really, we didn't know how it happened. It's like, no, they know how it happened. Like, they're very sure. (laughs) (laughs) Like, this happened because of a fucking... Satellite. Satellite. And point blank period. Point blank period. Mm-hmm. And and that's it. That's, I think that's it. Yeah. That's that's, that's where the film ends and dies. Yeah, just like everyone else. And re- then reanimates in Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of... <laughs> Next week yes. is Black Friday. It sure is. If this were not 2020, you might very well be spending your day at the mall. Unfortunately, you're going to be spending your day at the mall. Well, you are going to be spending your day at the mall, and I'm very sorry about that. I'm going to be spending my day at the mall. I'm very sorry about that. Hi, everyone that's listening to the next episode on Black Friday. Think of me. Because he's at the mall. I am at the mall. Pray for me. Um... He's at the mall during a pandemic. Yeah. Ugh. <sighs> anyway. We're going to get this shit done. Um, so let's spend the day at the mall with Dawn of the Dead. Right. We are doing Dawn of the Dead next week. Um, so you won't, you won't have very long to f- forget what happened uh, in Night of the Living Dead because it's only a week away. Right. So unless you get real drunk on Thursday, which is fine. Are you trying to say something, Katie, about my About current... Thanksgiving? No, just about how people get shit-faced on Thanksgiving. That's all. <laughs> or the fact that you have two pretty strong drinks in front of you. What drinks? <laughs> have two glasses that formerly held two pretty strong drinks in right. front of you. Yeah. Um. So, yes. So, we're very excited about that. Join us for that next week. Um, do not go to the mall, please. Stay home. Yeah. Stay safe. It's not worth it. Shop online. Let's, like, not, like, be hordes. Right. Let's you, not do that thing. You know what you could do instead? You can um, like and subscribe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can um, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Mm-hmm. You can follow us on Instagram at mm-hmm. F and Frights Podcast. Is it F and Frights Podcast? <laughs> F and Frights Podcast on Instagram. You F in Frights Pod on Twitter. That's what it is. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. It was too long. Yeah. Um, you can uh, also like us on Facebook at Friday Night Frights. Um, you can scream at us at scream at fnfrightspodcast.com. Yep. Um, there, there's a lot of options you can do instead of uh, going and shopping. And... You know what you could do? You could join Fright Club. Oh, that is what you can do. That is absolutely what I think you should do. Yes. I think you should go join Fright Club. Um, we would still love to hear about things that you want to see from Fright Club, for sure. Yeah, tell us what you want, because... Tell um, us what, w- what would make it worth your while, because, you know, we, we, we would really appreciate um, the support, but we definitely want to give you the content that is is worth your your hard-earned money because we have a lot of booze to buy so (laughs) we bought so much booze we bought so much booze we bought so much booze today we did not have a single ingredient for this cocktail that we made today we went to meyer and we had like five bottles of liquor in our hands (laughs) (laughs) sorry we didn't look like alcoholics at At all. all 
Not even a little bit. We're not alcoholics. We're podcasters. Right. I mean, at least we asked for the cognac instead of buying the expensive. Uh... True. <laughs> the expensive cognac. I was you know, like, is what cognac, is it? So buy, if you can afford it, buy the expensive cognac. Right. I mean, go for it. Mm-hmm. Go big or go home. It's my motto. And remember, the first rule of Fright Club is... If you are in a crisis, take off your fucking sweater. Take off your sweater. Take off your jacket. Mm -hmm. Take off any long sleeve shirt you're wearing. Yep. Because it's going to get caught on something and you're going to fucking die. Right. You are going to uh, end up in water and be weighed down by your sweater. Yeah. Somebody's going to be able to grab it. Like you want to be in like, you know comfortable but form-fitting clothing right that's easy to move around in you want to be as comfortably naked as you can possibly be like that actually usually backfires on them (laughs) okay you want to be as comfortably naked as you can possibly be without having sex with someone that's true i guess i guess you are right if they are naked they usually die that's true if we're talking about Return of the Living Dead, trash takes her clothes off for no goddamn reason and for ends lit- up getting eaten. So, for literally no reason. No reason. <laughs> Why? Why is trash taking your clothes off? Because she wants to get naked. I mean, and dance on a grave. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah, we can we can talk about that when we talk about that movie. We will get to that. Don't you worry. Oh my god, that's gonna be a three hour fucking episode because I love that movie. <laughs> just so, just warning you now. Uh, so, every so often. We're saying things, and those things are wrong. <laughs> yeah, uh, just to put it bluntly. Um, so we decided to come up with a little um, section of the episodes mm-hmm. going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are going to be calling it Camp Crystal Clear. <laughs> <laughs> because we like to be crystal clear on the information that we are sharing on our podcast. And we are determined to make this podcast nothing but puns and silly catchphrases. Yes. Um, So within our campfire around Camp Crystal Clear, let's Mm -hmm. talk about uh, what we... (laughs) Fucked up. (laughs) Fucked up. (laughs) So um, something that I I wanted to add to the Friday the 13th episode is that I discuss one video game that was created for Friday the 13th when there is in fact two Friday the 13th video games. <laughs> oh really? There is one that was invented in the, uh, Oh, so there was a second Friday the 13th video game, uh, that was invented in 1989 for the NES. Really? Yes. Oh my God. Let's find that fucking game. Um, so what I love about this game, I've never played it. So mm-hmm. I, I think that we should absolutely find this game because I think that we, this game. we both need to play it. Mm-hmm. Um, what I love and what I didn't, it's funny that I didn't tie it into this game mm-hmm. because they actually tie this game in, in an aspect. So um, one of the perks of, it, so Friday the 13th, the the video game that has cut, that came out two years ago. The most recent one, yeah. It was uh, launched on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. I believe I may have mentioned that. Um, if you were one of the founding, 
uh, backers, I think is what they say. Thank you. Right? Yes. I'm like, it's some, It's not a kicker. It's a backer. It should be a kicker. What's wrong with that? <laughs> yeah, it should be a kicker. <laughs> um, Writing a letter. I need to fix this Kickstarter. Um, but, uh, but if you were a founding backer, then they added a perk where you got a version of Jason that was in the same color scheme as he was in the video game because Jason mm. in the Friday the 13th video game from 1989, his entire body was purple and his mask was green. Yes. So Sean. Yeah. Huh? We're finding this game. <laughs> you kidding? So like, it's really fun playing the game because whenever you see someone that is playing as that character, well, I will say that some people like to, of course, you know, they can just mod it themselves right and and add him in Mm -hmm. but it's nice to see that sometimes it actually is someone that's been backing the game since the beginning Mm -hmm. um there was actually two versions of jason that you got if you were original backer there was also the tom savini jason that you would get um so uh you you got first jason so it wasn't okay so let me be actually slightly clear on that so it wasn't that jason be crystal clear let me be crystal clear on this let me be crystal clear and camp crystal clear the so the tom savini jason it was so the jason so the the tom savini jason Mm -hmm. is not actually a jason that was in any of the films okay this is just a variation of jason that tom savini himself created he designed this jason oh okay for the game specifically oh yes so, and you got, you got this version of Jason as a DLC if you initially backed I see. it from on Kickstarter. Kickstarter. Got it, got it, got it. Um, so those were the two, so that Jason and the Jason version from Friday the 13th, the video game from 89, were the two Jasons that weren't from a film. Technically, the Jason from the, the version from 89 is one of the Jasons from... One of the movies. I don't remember which one, which version he is from. However, it's... He was it's, never fucking purple. He was... But that's it. He was... It's literally the exact same version. Like, it looks the exact same as another version of Jason. He's uh-huh. just purple and green. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, cool. So... So um, that's a fun fact. For yeah. For sure. And we are absolutely finding that game. And, and maybe we can, like, you know, Instagram live that shit or something. Yeah. We are playing it as purple Jason. Purple Jason! Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my god my correction is much less fun i have just been saying uh someone's name wrong for most of this episode i think i maybe said it right once um the co-producer of night of the living dead who plays johnny at the beginning of the film his name is russell Strainer, or maybe it's strainer either way it is definitely not Steiner, because there is 100% an R in his name. I do have relatives with the last name of Steiner, which is probably why I kept saying it. It makes sense. <laughs> but yes, that is not his name. And I apologize, Russell Steiner. I will say your name right from now on. Oh, and by the way, happy Thanksgiving, because we won't talk to you until after Thanksgiving. Right. So happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Also... Put, you know, if you want to, like, uh, you know, reenact Night of the Living Dead, just go ahead and pour some chocolate sauce on your turkey leg. Pour. Oh, 
<laughs> I was gonna sing a song that I don't have licensing to. Because <laughs> that's what we do on this podcast. But if you want to pour some chocolate on me, because I'm mm. hot, stinky <laughs> sweet. <laughs> From your head to your feet, Sean. So, gays and ghouls, tune in next Friday night. You'll be in for a fright. But until then.